Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. Ecclesiastes 11, 2. I am Rob West. God's Word makes it clear that we should diversify our investments. Often that means dividing them, stocks, mutual funds, and bonds, and maybe precious metals. But are we missing a completely different class of investments? Tim McCready fills us in on private market investing today. Then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, our guest today is Tim McCready, head of global multi-asset investing with Brightlight, an Eversource Wealth Advisors team. And Tim, great to have you on the program. Rob, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Tim, as you know, we'll be talking about private market investing that honors God. But first, I'd love to hear a little bit of your story and how you became interested in and really uh, a key leader in the faith-based investing movement. So, Rob, I grew up on the mission field uh, and returned to Australia um, to to study and then spent my early career consulting with pension plans in Australia. Uh, But I wanted to do something more meaningful. Uh, and I had the opportunity to work with a, a faith-based pension fund in Sydney um, around this question of faith and investing. And I spent uh, 15 years trying to answer that question. What does it mean to be a faithful steward of what God has entrusted to us? And today I get to work with pension funds, but also investment advisors and families on this intersection of faith and investing. Uh, it's exciting. And I know you're delighted to see how this space is growing and maturing. Seems almost every day there's a new product out there, but perhaps this area of private markets they're less familiar with. So explain the difference between the public markets and the private markets. So in the private markets, you have different investment structures. Instead of mutual funds, stocks, and ETFs, you have private market funds, real estate investment trusts, uh, and notes, uh, and vehicles called limited partnerships. Um, And they're typically targeted at more experienced or sophisticated investors, usually, but not always, uh, larger investment sizes. And what these vehicles do is they often hold different assets within the fund. They still own stocks and bonds, but often different types, maybe venture capital or private equity or private credit, uh, instead of the traditional public stocks and bonds that uh, most listeners are probably familiar with. Yeah, that's helpful. And how are private market investments another way to diversify? Well, we've seen large investors using private markets to get exposure to different types of assets or different specific themes that they want to invest in. Uh, And what we're starting to see is these kinds of investments now starting to become more available uh, at smaller investment sizes, not just the the multi-billions that it used to be. Yeah, and that's really helpful for the average investor. Now, how do faith-based investments intersect with the private markets? So, Rob, 15 years ago, there was almost nothing in this space. But just as we're seeing growth in the options available to faith-based investors in public markets, we're seeing more options in the private markets. Mm. Uh, Today, there's probably 50 to 100 faith-based private market funds and opportunities, uh, plus hundreds of opportunities in a broader impact investing space. Most of these are still only available to qualified purchasers or accredited investors. But Rob, I'm excited about where we're headed. If trends from what we've seen elsewhere continue, we should start to see some of these private market investments with specific faith integration available to mum and dad investors in the next few years. 
Yeah, it's really exciting. Now, talk for just a moment about the potential for risk and performance with the private markets. So investors need to understand risks, particularly around liquidity. You can sell a publicly traded stock or bond pretty fast, not a private market fund, and that amplifies a range of risks. And with more concentrated portfolios, like you see in private markets, performance can be more volatile. But we have seen performance that diversifies away from the public markets um, and that delivers the kind of investment outcomes that investors need. Mm, That's really exciting. Tim, how can folks get more information about private market investing that aligns with their Christian values? So, have a look at our website, brightlightimpact.us, and have a look online at the different faith-driven private market investment opportunities that are available today. Wow, this is an exciting development in the faith-based investing space, Tim. We appreciate you stopping by. I know we're going to talk much more about this in the future. Great to be with you, Rob. That's Tim McCready with Bright Light. Again, if you'd like to learn more, just go to brightlightimpact.us, brightlightimpact.us. Back with your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West, and this is Faith and Finance Live, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. We'll be right back. The opinions offered during this program represent the personal or professional opinions of the participants given for informational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to replace advice from a financial, medical, legal, or other professional who understands your specific situation. Awesome. I'm so thankful you've joined us today for Faith and Finance Live here on Moody Radio. I'm Rob West, and it's time to take your calls and questions today. Here's the reality of what we do on this program. You know, each day we take an hour and dedicate to talking about managing money. Why? So we can enrich ourselves? No. Uh, Because God needs our money through our giving? No. He owns it all. It's so we can align our responsibility as stewards or money managers of God's resources with God's heart because that's the way a steward operates. They understand the heart of the master and conduct their affairs accordingly. Well, we've been given a high calling, a stewardship responsibility over God's money, and we want to handle that well, hold it loosely, give it generously, be found faithful in managing it each day. And we want to help you do that on this program, help you make God your ultimate treasure and money a tool to accomplish his purposes. So the lines are filling up with your questions. I'm ready to dive in. I hope you are. The number to call with three lines open is 800-525-7000. We're going to begin in uh, Western New York with Michael. Go ahead, sir. Hi, Rob. It's a pleasure. Uh, With my homeowner's insurance rates are climbing, I had a concern on being overinsured. Is there some flexibility with replacement cost, or is it firm on square footage? Hmm. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, the key is you don't want to be underinsured, but certainly you don't want to be overinsured either. And so, you know, I think visiting with your agent just to talk about what does my policy actually cover and what is a realistic replacement value for my home 
And am I properly insured, overinsured, or underinsured? Obviously, you know, there are ways to get that premium down. Uh, interestingly, increasing your credit score is one of them. Most people don't know this, but insurers often use something called a credit-based insurance score to set rates for individual customers, which is similar to a traditional credit score. If you have poor credit, you could be paying as much as 60% more for insurance than somebody with a good score. Uh, Apart from that, increasing your deductible, as long as you have that money in your emergency fund, and then other things like combining auto and home, you know, don't make small claims, have smoke detectors and burglar alarms, things like that. So, you know, obviously those are things you can do to try to, you know, push down on that premium that you're paying every year. Fortunately, New York is actually, uh, you know, just comparatively speaking, relatively inexpensive when it comes uh, to homeowners insurance. But as to the appropriate amount to cover replacement, if something were to happen catastrophic to your home, I would visit with your agent on that and then just see. Perhaps you talk to a, a contractor or two that you trust, maybe somebody from your church on, you know, what is the proper per square foot amount that I need? And what you may find is, you know, you're right on the money or, you know, maybe you have a little bit more than you need. With, uh, you know, how, housing prices and construction costs up where they are these days, I suspect you're probably not overinsured if you do do a deeper dive into it but it's worth checking out. Okay, and then how do you know or be comfortable with how high of a deductible to go with to save some money? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think the key is uh, you want to make sure that you have at least, you know, what you are putting on your deductible in uh, your uh, emergency fund. The average home insurance deductible is $1,000. You can go all the way up to five. Uh, again, I would want to make sure that, uh, you know, you have at least that in your uh, emergency fund. So I would say, you know, between one and 2000, uh, you know, I'd be comfortable with you pushing it up to to $2,000 to try to save some money on your premiums, maybe even 2500 I, I wouldn't recommend you go beyond that. But uh, the key is just make sure you've got that money available if you need to use it. Okay, Rob, thank you so much. You've been a lot of help. All right. Absolutely, Michael. Thanks for your call today, sir. Uh, to Pennsylvania, Green Castle. Hey, Mark, go ahead. Hi, Rob. I've uh, been listening here for over 30 years and have followed your advice and oh. uh, principles for that long, and you have me in pretty good shape. Wow. Well, thanks, uh, Mark. You yep. must have been a Larry Burkett listener back in the day, huh? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I look forward every day to listening. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, I am 68. I have not drawn my Social Security yet. We're not in the need of doing that at this point. What I wanted to know, if I would start drawing my Social Security, put it into an interest-bearing account, something low risk, of course, CDs or whatever, then when I reach age 70, pay all of that money back. I'll keep my interest that I've accrued, pay that money back for the one-time uh, social security benefit increase and just go from there. Would that be a good idea? Yeah. And so the idea is you're going to get the interest while you're waiting and then pay it back, keep the difference and then try to get, you know, the, uh, the automatic increases on that. Correct. Is that what you're thinking? I'm not sure what I'm drawing or would draw right now, but if it's like, 2000 now 
in a couple of years, it'll be 2300 So, you know, I would pay yeah. all that back and then start drawing that higher benefit. Interesting. Yeah, you know what? This is a good one, Mark. Uh, and, and I'm hesitant to weigh in because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of nuances to the Social Security Administration. Uh, what I don't know is, you know, whether you'd be able to just pay back only what they gave you. Uh, you know, less any kind of interest of any kind, and then automatically jump up to that higher benefit amount. Uh, I mean, I see where you're going with this, and you know, I, and potentially it's a, a bit of a loophole there where you could, you know, get it paid out. You collect the interest, hang on to the, you know, the amount they paid you plus the interest, only pay back just what they paid you, and then jump up to a higher amount and collect that for the rest of your life. The question is, I don't know whether that's permissible. And so let's do this. Uh, I'm going to have the team check into that. And uh, either later in the program today or uh, on on one of the episodes this week, uh, I'll give you our thoughts. Does that sound fair? That sounds fair enough. All right. That sounds great. Okay. Uh, but what I would all say right. is if if that's not possible, then because you don't need the money, by all means, you know, it makes sense for you to leave it there, not take that right. benefit, let it continue to grow to 70. But if you can kind of double dip, so to speak, potentially there's an option there. Uh, we'll we'll kick that around a bit more. Let me think about it. We'll also check the rules and then, and then get back to you. Hey, uh, Mark, thanks all for right. your call and for your kind remarks about the program sir. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks very much. All right. Hey, I don't have time to take another call before the break here. So Laura, Wilmer, stay right there. We'll get you uh, after the break. Let me take just an opportunity, though, to comment on something that trips up a lot of our listeners. And it's what you might call variable income budgeting. And this is where you don't have a consistent income. Now, listen, it's more important than ever to be budgeting with high inflation. We need a spending plan. But if you're on a variable income, here's what you need to do. Take the average monthly income that you got for the last six months and then draw up your estimated budget based on that number. Then as your income varies, it's really important that you save the excess in months where you earn more. And then you, uh, you you build up that to pull it in when you earn less. And then with any kind of budget, the key is to smooth that out and spend less than you earn. Try that. See if that doesn't help you. Hey, we're back with more questions just around the corner here on Faith and Finance Live. We'll look forward to taking your questions at 800-525-7000. So good to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. We're taking your questions. All the lines are full, so sit back and enjoy. We've got some great questions coming up. To Washington we go. Hi, Laura. Go ahead. Um, yes, good afternoon. Thank you for um, for answering my call. Um, this is probably kind of an unusual question for your program, but um, I am looking for a reputable coin dealer. Um, I was given some valuable coins um, from a relative that passed away. And I just, the closest large um, uh, city I live close to would be Spokane, Washington. But I don't know of any reputable dealers. And I know that there's some out there that are and some that aren't. So I would just like to get a true estimate of what the coin collection is worth. 
Yeah, very good. Um, well, a couple of things. I mean, first of all, you know, I wish I had a, a name to give you. I don't. We don't have an underwriter or, or haven't done due diligence on individual coin dealers. So I could say this one would be better than another. Uh, so unfortunately, it's where you're going to have to do a little bit of digging. But I can uh, send you to a few places that that may help at least get your point in the right direction. Number one is I would say that, you know, the Internet's going to be helpful here because before I worked with anybody, I'd lead, read a lot of reviews just to make sure, you know, I'm getting positive reviews. Number two, um, you know, I think this is where the Better Business Bureau can come in. Take it with a grain of salt, lead a, read a lot of reviews with it. But it's one additional factor you could use, bbb.org, uh, and then just search for coin dealers. Uh, there is an association uh, for what's called numisticists, and that's the term for uh, essentially coin grading and, and collecting. Uh, and it's the American Numismatic Association. Um, you'll find them. The website is just simply uh, money.org, money.org. And at least you know, you know, if you find a, a dealer in their directory, that they've at least, you know, taken some steps to be involved in kind of the largest, um, uh, you know, organization for uh, the numismatic, uh, you know, organization and, and dealers. So I, I would go there, money.org. But, um, you know, that's about as far as I would be able to take you in terms of getting you to somebody that, you know, giving you an actual name, which I can't do, but at least, you know, hopefully that'll help you narrow down the list there in Spokane or, or wherever you can find someone close by. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Happy to do it, Laura. And God bless your organization. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. God bless you. Uh, Let's go to uh, Pennsylvania. Hi, Wilmer. How can I help? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Rob. Um, I have an estate uh, planning question. As a Christian, how far should one go to preserve assets for an inheritance, such as putting your home in a Medicaid asset protection trust uh, to protect your home from uh, Medicaid recovery if you end up uh, uh, being on Medicaid, having Medicaid pay for uh, long-term care, or uh, taking other steps to uh, avoid some of the spend down before Medicaid kicks in to pay for long-term care. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, you raise an important question, and I appreciate you asking about it in light of a biblical worldview. Uh, there's basically four ways that you can pay for long-term care, which is very expensive. Uh, you know, a semi-private room in a nursing home, I think the last time I looked at it was approaching $100,000 a year. So this is probably the biggest risk we have in terms of eroding our assets in this season of life. And the four ways we can pay for it are with our own assets— uh, secondly, to purchase long-term care insurance, um, Medicare, but that's going to run out because that only pays for 100 days of nursing home or rehabilitative care. Uh, and then fourth is Medicaid when we spend down our assets. Uh, and you're asking about what's appropriate in terms of protecting those assets. And I would say, you know, first of all, I think you, this is a personal conviction that each one, you know, has to wrestle with and and decide for him or herself. Second, we'd obviously never want to do anything that um, tries to get around the law. Um, and so, for instance, you know, knowing there's the five year look back, do we, you know, try to 
you know, move assets over to a family member or something and try to, you know, get past the five year look back. Well, I would I wouldn't feel good about that because we're in a sense trying to violate the laws that are already put in place with regard to, you know, what assets uh, are counted and when Medicaid steps in. But there are ways legally that you can protect assets. And the key is that you have to give up control. Uh, So with a a Medicaid asset protection trust, this is an irrevocable trust. So you're transferring assets into it to shield those assets, but you can't transfer it back out of the trust. You've lost control of them forever. And so, uh, and the look back period applies here, but it is a viable way for you to protect assets for a variety of reasons. Similar with a life estate, which allows you to own real estate jointly with someone else, have it passed to them upon your death. In in this case, your home, family home would be excluded from the Medicaid means test, but they're irrevocable. So you can't change your mind and regain control of the real estate. And then a similar would be with a Medicaid annuity. So, you know, if you're willing to take those steps, I mean, those are very legal and viable ways for you to protect assets so long as you've prayed it through and thought about it and and come to the conviction that you're comfortable with that. But I think what's completely off limits is doing something that in a sense tries to find a loophole around the system or the the rules and regs in place. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, it does. Yeah, I appreciate your, um, yeah, it's just something that uh, we're wrestling with. And, uh, yeah, we definitely want to do, uh, you know, what's right and, uh, and uh, God owns everything, and we're managing it, and we want to manage it according to His principles, and yeah. uh, you know, even in in retirement, and absolutely uh, in estate planning. Yeah, well, I certainly appreciate yeah. Thank you your much. approach on that. Listen, Wilmer, stay on the line. I'm going to send you a copy of Ron Blue's book, Splitting Heirs. I think it's the best book, not on the the mechanics and the legal instruments, but on kind of the why and the decision-making of wealth transfer, I think it'll be an encouragement to you. So you stay on the line. Our team will get your information. We'll drop splitting errors in the mail to you from Ron Blue, and hopefully that'll help you as you're wrestling through some of these decisions on this last stewardship decision we'll make, which is wealth transfer. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, more of your questions today. Uh, 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Stick around. Hey, thanks for joining us today on Faith and Finance Live. Have you checked out the FaithFi app? I'd love for you to do that. We've got some big changes coming up in FaithFi 4.0, new features, a whole new look and feel. This is a great time for you to go ahead and download it, get into the app, set up your spending plan, check out the great content, the community, and get ready for the launch of the new Faith 5 4.0. You can check it out today or download it on our website, faithfi.com. At, uh, just click on app or head to your app store wherever you download apps and search for Faith 5, Faith and Finance. And uh, let us know what you think. All right, we're going to go back to the phones uh, to Lubbock, Texas. Hi, Diane. How can I help you? Hi. Um, I wish I'd heard the, all of the last one, but uh, I'm trying to figure out My parents died almost three years ago. There was a will that left everything to me for living with them and taking care of them. And um, 
my sister is contesting the will. She's not in the will at all. Uh, it has been a, a um, horrible um, financial burden because I've also been diagnosed with metastatic cancer. And I'm trying to figure out, my attorney tells me that I have to come up with $10,000 more before they can move forward um, with anything because the judge has ordered a mediation before he'll even listen to the case. I, I've always had a strong faith in God, but lately it's... Um, it's on the edge. Yeah. But yeah. I need to I need to know. I mean, how I have used all of my retirement. I turned 65 in a in a in a um in a week. And um I don't know where to go. I yeah. you know, the medical bills are piling up, but that's the least of my worries. Um the house I've been paying the mortgage on for over three years now, and I, d- I just don't know where where to go or or what to do, and I don't want to be vengeful. Yeah. Um, like it's happening on the, you know. Be- yeah because her goal is to get me out of this house that they left me. And um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know where else to go to finances. It's ruined my credit. I, I, you know, I've, my, I, I have done a title loan on my car, so I'm making car payments again on a car that was paid for. I, you know, I, um, uh, I, I've maxed out my credit card. My credit rating is not good anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, Diane, first of all, I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish what you were saying. I just, and, a, and, and a judge that doesn't want to listen to anything before a mediation and an attorney that won't do a mediation until he's paid $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that, and, and it obviously you're in a really uh, difficult spot, both financially. I think the biggest thing is just how you navigate this spiritually, and I understand you've got questions, and you certainly uh, don't want to, um, you know, allow this to turn your heart uh, away from the Lord. Uh, you know, this is an opportunity to run to Him. You know, none of us are a stranger to suffering, and I realize we have no idea what what you're facing right now. You're the one walking through it. What we do know that, uh, you know, as we live life and read our Bibles, it becomes apparent that suffering is a part of the human existence because uh, we chose to uh, go away from the Lord, starting with uh, Satan deceiving Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve uh, then choosing uh, to violate God's commands, and now we are living tragically uh, in a, a humanity that has chosen life apart from Him. Now, the good news is He sent His Son Jesus to reconcile Him to him, to uh, us to Him, uh, but we're still living in a fallen world, and it can cause when we go through these really difficult seasons us to ask a lot of hard questions. 
C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way. Here's what he said. He said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I think the, the, the big idea here is that God is not the author of evil, uh, but he is sovereign over evil. And therefore, we can have hope that there will be a day when God will bring all evil to an end. And meanwhile, he determines to leave things the way they are in order that through our trials, we can cling to our Savior. So we don't want to let our disappointments over a life in a fallen world persuade us that God is not there or he doesn't care because that's just not true. And what it needs to it needs to happen for all of us is that we allow our suffering to drive us to our Savior, who promises that one day all of this will come to an end, uh, all that's wrong, all that separates us from Him, all that causes pain, and uh, we will enjoy a, an eternity where everything is made right. And we can have hope in that day. And I realize the pain in the midst of that is, is very difficult. But God is there. He's bigger than all of it. He can be trusted. He loves you more than anything. And he will provide for you. Now, this is an opportunity for the body of Christ uh, to step in as well and help to provide your need. Um, and so I would hope that your church is rallying around you in this season. Uh, with regard to the contested will, I would say, uh, you know, either uh, there needs to be some sort of mutual acceptable resolution with your sister that you all could work through if that's not possible and you feel like uh, the legal process is the only means by which you can do that. Uh, again, perhaps there's somebody that would help you uh, financially in such a way that you could allow that process to play out. Ultimately, that's going to be your call, and uh, we're going to trust that the Lord will provide. I would hope and pray that maybe there could be a, a process of reconciliation and a path forward that uh, that you and your sister could work together on. Obviously, I know nothing about the details of this, so Diane, so I wouldn't presume to say you should do one thing or another. But I do know that God is bigger than all of this, and He loves you. And here's my hope and prayer, is that you would run into the arms of your Savior in the midst of these challenges, even when there's more questions than answers. And I believe that you will see God provide at perhaps just the the time you weren't expecting it. And um, that's just the way uh, the Lord operates. So let me pray for you. And what I'd like to do is connect one of our certified Christian financial counselors with you, at the very least, just to be an encouragement to you, to help you think through the financial implications. Obviously, they can't give you legal counsel, but they could help you think through how you navigate the financial piece of it. Let's pray. Father, we know uh, in this world there will be tribulation, and we see it around us, we experience it, and we know yet you have overcome the world. And so today we tell you we love you and we trust you. I just ask that you'd work in Diane's life. Help her to see the path forward. Help her to feel your loving arms around her. Help her to bring and come to resolution with her sister uh, in these legal matters. I pray for your provision in her life, uh, that she would be able to find a way forward and um, meet her obligations and, and make hard decisions as they come. We trust you in that. We love you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Diane, stay on the line. We'll be right back.
Thanks for joining us on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. Faithfulness to opportunity. That's what God asks of us once we surrender our lives to Jesus. The question is, what have we done with what we've been given? We certainly will have plenty of trials in this world. The key is, are we found faithful, at least as it relates to God's money, in managing His money according to uh, the Scriptures? And that's what we want to help you do, encourage you to do on this program each day. Uh, let's head back to the phones. We'll get to as many questions as we can uh, here in our final segment. To Palm Beach, Florida, Henry, go ahead. Hey, Rob. Thank you for uh, sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you. And what I'd like to ask you is uh, my 401k, I use savings account or to a broad IRA. I just don't want to get into a higher tax bracket. What would be the smart move there? Okay. uh, Let me ask just a clarifying question. So you have a 401k currently, right? With my yeah, with my employer, yes, but okay. I don't want to do that when I when I retire. Yeah, right. Okay, so you're wondering about the tax implications of uh, moving this out once you separate from employment. Well, I know I might, I will have to pay taxes because it is uh, <clears throat> pre-tax money. But uh, my question is, uh, will it put me in a higher tax bracket? If well, I the the ones. Yeah, the idea is if you've got a pre-tax 401k, then when you'd retire, you'd roll it out to an IRA. That's not a taxable event. That doesn't change your taxes at all. It just moves it from a pre-tax 401k to a pre-tax IRA. What then will impact your taxes and the various the brackets that you fall into based on your income would be how much you pull out. And the idea is, you know, we build up this these 401ks while we're working through pre-tax salary deferral. And then when we stop working or God redirects us to what he has next for us, it, you know, the idea is that at that point our, indus, our income drops and then we replace that income by systematically drawing from the IRA and, let's say, Social Security and so, you know, you're probably going to live on somewhere between 70 and 80% of your pre-retirement income. So if anything, your income is going to go down because you're not going to need to pull out as much as you're making today from your IRA when you get into that season of life. So no, I mean, unless you pull a bunch of it out at once, you're not going to put yourself up in a higher bracket because essentially you'd just be replacing or, in fact, a little bit less than replacing the income that you're currently bringing in today through your withdrawals or what are called distributions from your IRA. Does that make sense? Good. Yes, it does. Big time, yes. Let me ask you one more quick question. I was talking to a friend of mine last week, and he mentioned that if you're going to retire, don't retire in the middle of the year. Retire at the end of the year. So I asked him why. He said because the Social Security won't give you credit for that year if you retire the middle of the year. Ah, I see. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, the the Social Security benefits are based on what's called the high 35, which is the highest 35 years of your wages. Um, And at the end of your working career, pre-retirement, the idea would be that you would likely be earning, you might be at the peak of your earning And so for every year, you have benefits uh, that are higher than another year uh, in your high 35. You're replacing or knocking out one of those lower years, which pushes your benefit up. 
So what he's saying is that, yeah, if you're at the peak of your earning potential um, and, and you're on track to have another year that's going to knock out a lower year that's a part of your current benefits calculation, you, if you can see that year through, then you get credit for it. If you stop mid-year, you wouldn't have the full benefits and therefore it wouldn't be able to replace one of those earlier years. And I would agree with that. Okay. So he's right in what he told me then. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah, that's a good idea that he's got there. Hey, Henry, thanks for calling, sir. We appreciate you being on the program today. Uh, let's go a little bit. Uh, let's north of Palm Beach to Jacksonville. Kim, go ahead. Yes, hi. Um, my question today is regarding trying to find a good certified CPA, preferably a Christian one, to help us with questions um, around taxes. My husband. Um, wants to start Social Security in March of this year. He'll be full retirement age, but he's still working full-time. And we recently moved all of our investment stuff to Fidelity, and we asked the lady over there, but she didn't have – she said, we don't even have a list of three we can recommend. Mm. And, like, he doesn't think we should take taxes out of his Social Security check. We're in the 24% – I think it's 22 or 24 percent tax bracket now with what he's earning and he's like why would the we let the government you know hold our money and i said well then we're going to end up having a big tax bill at the end of the year and i said i think we should really talk to a cpa about what's best for us yeah yeah i would agree you know i think when anytime you have a, a change going on and clearly this is one where you're going from what you've always known to kind of a new season of life and incomes changing and moving from wages to social security benefits. It's a great time to do some tax planning just to make sure you understand the implications of what you're going to owe and not owe and how much of that needs to be withheld versus paid in, uh, you know, at the end of the year. So what I would do is, uh, unfortunately, um, we have far less certified kingdom advisors in the tax and accounting space than we do in the planning and the wealth management space. Uh, So there may or may not be a CKA, certified kingdom advisor, who does taxes and accounting in Jacksonville. But every CKA in your area will have a referral that they could give you to a godly CPA. So what I would do is head to our website, faithfi.com, and click Find a CKA, do a zip code search near your where you live, and then contact one or two of those certified kingdom advisors and just ask for a referral. And I think that would get you pointed in the right direction. Okay. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. All right, Kim. Thanks for calling. We appreciate it. Uh, to Martin, uh, Michigan. Hi, Brian. Go ahead. Hi, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Good. Say, I've got an opportunity to purchase some land. It's $40,000, and the price is probably high just because I live in an agricultural region, and there's not a lot of good housing available. And also farmers in the area aren't willing to sell their land, but this particular farmer is. Um, I don't have cash on hand to pay for it, but I've got uh, about 315000 in retirement savings accumulated. I've got about eight more years to work, nine more years. My Edward Jones agent has money uh, set aside in my retirement for my mother's estate when she passed away a couple years ago that he said I could use uh, free of consequence to pay for the land. My concern was taking out like $40,000 to buy land. And he said, you've got time to let left to work. And he said, as long as you're diligent and re- 
continuing to say for retirement, he said, you'll be fine. Yeah. So I just wanted your feedback on that. Yeah, I like that. So you wouldn't be taking it out of your retirement fund. You'd be pulling it from this after-tax money that you received as a part of an inheritance? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I like that because here's the thing. It just gives you further diversification uh, among asset classes. So you're saving right now in your retirement with stocks and bonds, and this would give you real estate just to complement your retirement portfolio, which, you know, that heeds the wisdom of King Solomon that we should not put all of our eggs in one basket, uh, which I like. And we're not talking about a significant sum of money in terms of the percentage of your portfolio. I mean, at 40000 out of you know, three, four hundred thousand uh, dollar portfolio or total retirement uh, assets, I think is reasonable. You still got time on your side. I mean, whether or not this is the right property at the right price, y- you certainly would know better than that, just given the locale and what you already described about the area. I wouldn't be able to weigh in on that. The only thing I might add is just make sure that, you know, if you don't have a really good working knowledge of what the true market value of this is, that you get a real estate professional who can run the comps. And I realize it's complicated because you got a lot of farmers sitting on land. And so maybe there's not a lot of comparables, but I'd at least do your due diligence just to make sure this is a fair price. But if you think that it is, and it has the the potential to appreciate, uh, then I think this is a great plan. And you don't have to worry about you know, uh, taking this out of a tax deferred account because you have these other assets there in the Ed Jones account that that you could tap to to uh, make the purchase. Yeah, and the goal would be to build a small house on it for my two boys and and myself. Nice. So that, that's kind of the goal in buying the land. So I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. All right, Brian. Thanks for your call. Uh, quickly to Chicago, uh, Antoinette. Thank you for calling. I've got just a minute left. Uh, yes, my question is, I have a $300,000 in a CD um, earning about uh, 5.505.5. Also, I have three uh, properties that are paid off that brings in uh, 5000 uh, more than $5,000 a month in income. But I only have now uh, one property that I uh, live in, which is a, uh, another $180,000 left on it at a 4.25 interest rate. Um, yeah. Now, my question is, uh, and I have another like 15 years to pay on it. So my mm-hmm. question is, because um, I was thinking to just keep this uh, $300,000 in a CD, invest that, um, and then use the income that I have from the other properties to continue paying my mortgage where I live. And um, my husband and I both work. Yeah, very good. Do you all have a conviction to be out of debt right now, or are you comfortable hanging on to this mortgage for a little while? Uh, yes, I'm I'm comfortable because I actually I want to uh, keep this because I'm planning to maybe later on when the housing market um, kind of stabilizes in price yeah. or something, okay. I'd like to uh, invest that uh, also again in real estate. Got it. Okay, very good. So if that's the case, then I would probably just continue paying on it as you are. I mean, it's not, uh, uh, you know, the best interest rate. It's not two or three, but it's not six either. You're getting a good rate on it. The key is, I think, what you said right there at the end, that you'd really like to be able to buy another piece of property. As long as you don't have a conviction to be debt-free, I'd say you guys are doing great. Just keep paying on this thing, get it paid off out of current cash flow, and hang on to that money. 
We appreciate your call. Hey, Faith and Finance Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and Faith Fi. Thank you to Gabby T., Robert, Amy, and Dan. I'm Rob West, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.